Amen. What a great, great song service. God is awesome. Well, thank you for allowing me to come back and hang out with you guys one more time. It's been uh, encouraging to hear the different news and the different uh, ways people are changing and, and embracing the message. Uh, and message that really comes from God for us to love ourselves so uh, that we can really live life to the full and show the world what it really means to live as Christ lived. You know, Jelani just shared um, from his heart, and I thought, you know, I could see the Spirit is moving. Because if there's ever a message that I've preached that I really need to uh, take into, my, into account for myself is this one today. You know, it's coming to the end of the year. We're going to be in 2018 soon. This year went by very quickly. And I've been thinking about planning for next year and what I'm going to be doing and, you know, spiritual goals, business goals. And as I'm planning, I'm encouraged, but also I'm finding myself getting stressed out about what I've got to close out by the end of the year before next year starts. And in America, in New York, life can be stressful. You know, we've got so many different things we've got to be good at. Good father, a mother, brother, sister, citizen, co-worker, employee, boss, whatever, neighbor. We've got all of these things we've got to be good at, and it can get stressful. Just thinking about it sometimes makes me want to take a nap. We live in a city that never sleeps. So some of us feel guilty if we take rest, or if we take a nap, or if we slow things down. But we've got to get a real handle on what it means to handle our stress. Some of us, you know, you look out there and people just can't get to, are living for the weekend or living to get away on vacation. What is it about our lives right now that have us always wanting to get away from it all? You know, even on vacation, well, listen, you turn on the news today. Stress after stress after stress. They're saying now that Americans are more stressed out by what's going on in politics than they are in their own lives. More than financial stress. So we've got stress coming from all sides. You know, I remember one time that uh, the best vacation my wife and I ever took. She just finished her master's degree and I was like, you know what? We're going to leave the kids behind and we are going somewhere hot just me and you, and we're going to get away from it all. And so I took my wife, and it was awesome. We hadn't been away from the kids for a long time, and we went to this resort, and just to see the stress seep away from my wife as we got there. And then we checked in, and the woman at the check-in was like, listen, we've got a special today. We can upgrade you to the red level. I was like, what is the red level? <laughs> Tell me more. And so she said, she told, explained the red level, you get your own private pool. There's the pool where everybody else goes with the kids, and then there's the private pool. And it had a cabana, and then they would serve you food at your, inside your cabana. It was awesome. And for a while, um, I was feeling bad, like, oh, it's bad that these other people can't come into, into our little pool area. <laughs> but by the middle of the week, I was like, listen, see those kids? They ain't red level. And then, in Red Level, you had a jacuzzi on the beach. Right outside your apartment, jacuzzi on the beach. It was awesome. 
And then the best thing about Red Level is that you had a butler. <laughs> a butler. I'm English. I ain't never had a butler. <laughs> and you know, the butler would ask you, I remember his name, Oscar. Oscar would ask you, what do you want when you come home? And I got all English. I said, Oscar, the braces are going out for the evening. <laughs> when we come back, we would like the bathtub, you know, just right, not too hot, not too cold, right amount of bubble. Thank you, Oscar. <laughs> and we'd come back, and the, the bathtub would be run, and there'd be this, this swan uh, of towels. He made swans out of the towels. It was just awesome to watch my wife resting. I took a nap in a hammock. I only see that in the movies. And so it was awesome. You can get used to that. And then we had to come home. There was no more red level. No more butler. Got home to the kids. The kids were like, Mommy, can I? Daddy, can I? Now we were the butler. We were the cook. We were the, the maid. The whole thing. And we remember the room. The room was room 1702. And whenever my wife and I are going through stress and we look at each other, we just say 1702. <laughs> but the point is, why am I telling you about all this? Because what if we could live a 1702 lifestyle every single day? What if we could live that way? What if we had peace in our spirit that way all of the time? See, there are people who are trying to get away from that stress and we turn to addiction. We make poor decisions, infidelity, drinking, workaholics because we're trying to deal with the stress in our lives. So the title of my message today is From Stress to Shalom. How to get our souls at rest. See, because everybody knows once you become a Christian that life after that is a breeze. That nothing ever goes wrong, and things are all easy. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34 says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that encouraging, the gospel of Jesus right there? But the good thing I love about the Bible is it tells us the truth. It gets away from all of this kind of, you know, puffery or making us live in fantasy land. You're going to have trouble. The world, life is going to come with stress. So, what is stress? It's my first point. What is stress? We're also going to look at shalom. We're also going to look at shalom stealers and how to create boundaries and also the path to shalom. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does anyone have stress this morning? Does anyone have burdens that they need released this morning? Does anyone want to find rest for your souls? Jesus is talking to you. So why should we talk about stress? We talk about stress because stress is one of the biggest contributors to disease. And the thing is, for me, that I found hard is how do I, my, my emotions 
uh, and my stress lead to disease? How do I connect those two? I grew up, I, you know, in my household, stress was just, you know, everybody's going to have stress, so deal with it and get on with it. But we've really got to take a step back if we're supposed to live life to the full and get that rest that Jesus is talking about and figure out what stress is and how it affects us. So stress is any unresolved or ongoing negative emotion. Fear, lack of forgiveness, anxiety, um, jealousy, regrets, all of those things are stress. Any unresolved or ongoing emotion. Now, how does the body respond? One, one thing that's great about the body, God has designed the body to be awesome. And the way that stress registers in the body is it registers as danger. And so the body prepares you to deal with the danger in front of you. Has anybody ever heard of the fight or flight response? So, when you're facing danger or when you're facing stress, the body goes into the fight or flight response. And what that does is, you know, say back in the day you were hunting and then you got chased by a bear. You would need the energy to either fight the bear or flight, run from the bear. So the body does two things. It secretes more of, uh, more of a hormone called adrenaline, which gives you more strength to either fight or it secretes something called cortisol, which is to give you more energy and so that you can run. And one of the ways that cortisol works is it drops more sugar into your bloodstream and into your muscles so that you can actually run, okay? So that you have more energy to fight against this danger. So if you've ever felt anxious or nervous and you get that tingly feeling, that's part of that response happening in your body. So the body is awesome. It prepares you for the danger ahead. And then it goes a step further. It will shut down any of your body's systems that you don't need when you're in acute danger. So what does that mean? Stay with me. It means it will shut down your digestive system. When you're in stress, your reproductive system. When you're under stress, your immune system. When you're under stress, it will shut down even your brain function. So that what happens is you, go to, you get your executive function in the higher level of your brain gets suppressed and you go to your reptilian brain, which is the, the uh, survival instinct part of your brain. So you're not even thinking as clearly as you, you could be, right? And then a sleep, it's a sleep impediment, stress, because if there's danger, you can't be falling asleep, right? So all of these things happen. The body goes into these responses to give you more energy, fight against the stress. Now, once the stress, the acute danger is gone, these things return back to their normal level and everything is fine. Here's what happens, though. That's acute stress. We live with everyday stresses, right? That means financial stress, anxiety, family stress, job stress. You know, whatever stress you can, you can think of, there are these stress triggers, which is everyday stress, which is known as chronic stress. Now, once you're in this space, your body is activated in a low-level stress response. What does that mean? That means you get um, issues with your abdomen and your digestion, irritable bowel syndrome, acid reflux. My wife suffers from acid reflux. I know she's stressed when that happens in her stomach. What else happens? It goes back, it can affect your immune system. If you're under stress, you get sick more often. If, you're, if you don't have an ability to deal with the stress in your life, your brain function. So can you think of examples in your lives when you've been under stress and you haven't made the best decision? 
Think about inner city environments where there are kids who are seeing things that they shouldn't be seeing, where their parents may not have what they need to take care of them, and they're consistently under stress, and they go into survival instinct, the reptilian brain, which means they end up making poor decisions. This is how stress can affect your life. Even the cortisol, the body, I told you, body jumps cortisol into your bloodstream, right? Stay with me here. And so the sugar is at an elevated level. But everyday stresses, you're not fighting anybody. You're not running from anybody. So what happens to that sugar? It stays in your bloodstream, which leads to weight gain, obesity, which is the second largest trigger for cancer. Cortisol, raised cortisol in your system also gives you inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, uh, asthma. It can lead to Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease. So were you seeing how stress can manifest itself in your body physically and lead to disease. This is why Jesus knows, look, we want you to, he wants you to have rest. He wants you to have a place where you can be stress-free. The God gives us the Sabbath because we need that rest. God wants us to bear with each other because we need others who can help us deal with the stress. So moving on, if we're going to talk about stress, we're going to talk about shalom. Talk about peace. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now we're going to look at two quick scriptures here. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40, what's happening is this is a story where Jesus heals a sick woman. And this, the, the, uh, the background to this is awesome if you could ever really study it out. But the part I want to focus on is Jesus heals this sick woman. She touches the hem of his garment. And then in Luke chapter 8, verse 40, after he heals her, he said, then he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There's another scripture, John chapter 4, where where a man comes to Jesus to uh, heal his son. Jesus heals his son, sends the man home, says your son is going to be healed. And in John chapter chapter 4, verse 40, he says, as the man goes back, in some versions it says, he tells the man to go in peace. Now what's he saying here? The word for peace here is shalom, and we'll get into that in a second. But here's Jesus. He's met their needs. He's given them a miracle. He's healed them. He's brought his son back from the dead, and he's still saying, go in peace. Why? Because the miracles in our lives don't necessarily bring us peace. Because the gifts that God gives us don't necessarily give us peace. The success that we're striving for doesn't necessarily give us peace. We just heard Jelani talk about how the blessing of his son was stressing him out. And then he went to the blessing of a job, which was stressing him out. And in the blessing of a wife, it was stressing him out how to be there for her. The blessings in our lives don't necessarily bring us peace. I've talked about this before. Look, one of the... The main blessing in my life, apart from Jesus, is my wife. Hands down. But, even in marriage, the most basic thing, communication, is a minefield of disaster. How many of you have been in this situation? What's up, babe? Nothing. Nothing. What does that nothing mean? See, I used to respond to that nothing like nothing really meant nothing. But then as I grew in my marriage, I found out that, you know, if I don't respond the right way, there really is a minefield of potential disaster about to happen. What does that nothing mean? Is it nothing and it's really nothing? 
Is it nothing and you're going to kill me if you say something right now? Is it nothing and you're waiting for me to figure it out? Which nothing is it? Because there's a whole lot of nothing out there, right? The most simple thing can bring us stress. But this word shalom, we think of it as just meaning peace or a greeting. Shalom, peace, or shalom, peace be with you. But it's so much more than that. When our ancient uh, forefathers talked about the concept of shalom, what it meant was a blessing on your entire being, where your mind, your soul, your spirit was all at peace, all in balance and all in alignment. It meant living an ordered life, a structured life, where everything is where it should be. It's much more Eastern in philosophy than it is Western. Jesus wants us to be at peace, all areas of our lives, despite the stresses, despite the blessings, he wants us to have peace. At the most fundamental level, the deepest level, he wants us to have rest for our souls. Be encouraged. But ask yourself, is your soul at rest? Have you ever had moments in your life where things are going great, but something is just off? You feel something's not right. Maybe you're irritable or cranky or something's going on and you just don't feel yourself. Then we're out of step with Shalom. In New York, you know, my wife and I were talking about, as we were talking about this message, we are like, who do we know that is just super chill? And we found it really hard to find people in our immediate life who are just chill, calm, and at peace. We live in New York. Most people are trying to do something or have some battle they're fighting. And so we live this life, and most of us are living life in some way on the extremes. And there are seasons for life to do that, but your whole life can't be lived on the extreme. We've got to find shalom and peace in our heart and rest for our souls. So point number three, shalom stealers. We're going to look at some things that steal our shalom. And most of these things have to do with setting boundaries in our lives. Okay, Mark chapter 1 verse 35. The first one is a lack of self-care. Mark 1.35 reads, Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so, th- so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we travel throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. All right, here we see Jesus. What did he do? He left his house, went to a solitary place. He knew in his humanity as a son of God, he needed a solitary place to refresh himself, to pray, and to get his needs met. Then what happens? The disciples come to him, everyone is looking for you. Imagine how stressful that could be. You spend a whole day uh, healing people, and then right after your meditation, you hear everybody is looking for you. Now, how does Jesus respond? Okay, let's run out and let's deal with everybody's problems and fix everybody's problems and take care of them. Is that how he responds? No. He doesn't. He said, look, I'm going to the nearby villages because that is why I have come. He had a very strong sense of purpose. Have you ever felt pulled in many different directions? trying to get everything accomplished, yet getting nothing done. 
Sometimes we just need to find time to, to, if we could just take a nap sometimes. I knew there was one minister who I knew was so stressed out that he would cry because he couldn't take a nap. And we would laugh. We would laugh at it, but he would literally cry because he was that tired. Some of us go through that. We don't take time for ourselves. And we feel guilty. If we take time for ourselves, it has to have an agenda. Well, I'm resting because if I rest now, then I can take care of A, B, C, and D. And we feel guilty because we take rest. Jesus isn't guilty here. He takes a rest, he gets what he needs, and he moves on. Or sometimes if someone's resting, we're like, why are you resting? What's wrong with you? Everybody else is running around crazy, and you're resting? And we can put this guilt on each other. You know, we need to be able to take self-care and be okay with it. I think sometimes as disciples, we hear self-care, and we think, I can't do that, I'm a Christian. The Bible is clearly saying You need rest for your souls. I know for me it's been tough. Um, There was a a time in my life when um, I just was not stopping to take care of any, and this went on for years. We came out of the ministry, we had our first kid, and then I had this business experience which was terrible. I went through this business experience, I lost the business, uh, people were saying all kinds of bad things about me, and then my business partner sued me. Everything happened at one time. This is like, it's not a smart decision. You're suing me. I ain't got very much. But anyway, it was stressful. And in that moment, I was always put myself in the position of strength. So when I needed help, my brothers didn't know what to do. They'd never seen me weak. My mother didn't know how to encourage me. Even certain friends didn't know what to do because I'd never asked for help. Some of us are in a position where we never ask for help. We never get the help. We're bitter and resentful. We think people should know. We need to stop and ask. We need to stop and just put your hand up. I need help. Guys, we see here how this stuff affects us. Listen, my wife, I'm the African, right? My wife is into this new thing where she will find on Netflix that her way of chilling is any Nigerian movie that's out there. Now, like, amen. (laughs) You too, huh? Um, For me, I need an action movie, Hollywood budget. You know what I'm saying? I need some Hollywood name actors, not my wife. She watches the, and she's like, do you want to watch them with me? I'm like, baby, it's okay. You do your thing, man. You have your time. But she's found her thing. It doesn't have to be this extravagant thing that you do. Action point. Find something you like to do just because you like to do it. Set an appointment and a date with yourself and go and do it. That's it. No agenda. Go get it done. And here, yeah, but what about prayer? Yes, of course you've got to pray. Of course you've got to go to God. That's a given. You're disciples. I know that. But sometimes we even stress ourselves out with quiet times. We don't focus on Jesus got with God. We focus on very early in the morning. So if we don't have it very early in the morning, we're stressed about our quiet time not having it very early in the morning, and we go out into the world stressed. I once heard Cynthia Powell just say, look, you don't have to have this exhaustive concordance uh, quiet time. Take one scripture, meditate on that one scripture, and have that throughout the whole day. We need to back off of ourselves and give ourselves the space that we need. 
The next alarm stealer is unrealistic expectations. Matthew chapter 4 verse 6. If you are the son of God, this is Satan tempting Jesus. Satan leads Jesus into the desert and begins to tempt him. He says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not um, strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord to the test. What's going on here? Satan gets Jesus alone. He's like, okay, you're the son of God. Prove it. Go outside the bounds of what God wants you to do and prove that you are the Son of God. Let's talk about other people's expectations. There are people in our lives which we allow to put unrealistic expectations on us. And we try to live up to those unrealistic expectations. Mainly a lot comes from family. But it can come from anywhere, family, job, even our brothers and sisters in the church. And we try to put unrealistic expectations on people that even God doesn't need them or ask them to fulfill. We say things like, if you were a good mother, you would. If you were a good father, you would. If you were a good son, a good employee, a good Christian, you would do A, B, and C. And we're trying to force people to go beyond what their God-given expectations. Some of us in life and the way life has happened, we've taken on responsibilities that really shouldn't be on our shoulders. For me, I was the oldest brother and of a single mom household. My mother was a single, uh, single mom for many years. And so I had to step into an unnatural role of being the oldest brother and looking out for my kid brothers. People would say to me, you're the man of the house. Now, I didn't, take that, I didn't know what that meant at that time, and I tried to live up to that responsibility, but at 8, 9, 10 years old, I shouldn't be trying to be the man of the house. There was a time um, my parents moved to America. I stayed in England. And um, years later, I, I, I uh, met up with my brother, who also moved to America at that time, and we were adults, and he said, I've got some stuff to share. And I said, what do you need? He said to me, I felt like you betrayed me. I said, what do you mean? He said, I felt like you were my father figure and you abandoned me. I was 15 years old. How can I be your father figure? So we take on these unnatural roles that life thrusts on us. Sometimes it's just the way things are. Sometimes it's other people's expectations. And then years later... I, ended, I went to therapy and I was dealing with some stuff and I was, this therapist was saying, tell me about your life. And so I said to this therapist, look, you know, I've always been in a position of responsibility. And I started complaining about my brothers and, sis, my brothers, and I said, you know, they were so selfish. My mother was going through so much and they would ask for things like candy and I couldn't understand why they couldn't see the suffering my mom was going through. And the therapist turned to me and he said, oh, that's interesting. He goes, how old were your brothers? I said, they were like between five and eight. He goes, isn't that normal for a five and eight-year-old to ask for candy? I said, yeah. He goes, so who do you think was really out of touch or out of alignment with reality? And then he went on and he said, the problem is you were put into a situation where you have to be a self-sacrificer. 
So I was like, self-sacrifice, so that sounds like Jesus, that's awesome. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, some of it's good, but some of it's unhealthy. Because you've taken that situation and applied it to the rest of your life. It's no wonder you left the dance career, went into the ministry. It's no wonder that you feel guilty when you do things for yourself. What am I saying? The reason I share that story is some of us are going through this right now. Yes, we need to deny ourselves, deny the sin in our life. Yes, we need to serve. But there's a healthy way to do it and there's an unhealthy way to do it. And we need to assess which obligations we need to stick to and which we need to let go. If you are right in the eyes of God, and if God has forgiven you, and if God loves you, then nobody else can place any unrealistic expectations on you. That's it. How did Jesus do it? He knew his purpose. Everybody's looking for you. Stay here, even the demoniac. Jesus heals the demoniac, a man demon-possessed. And he says, I want to come with you, Jesus. Jesus said, nope. You've got work to do over there. I'm going over here. We've got to learn to say no. Now, last time we did this exercise, brothers and sisters, and I asked you to say no, and I give you at most a C+. We need to figure out what we need to say no to. I have an interesting story. One of my clients is a well-known artist, and he has this, he ha- I, I used to train him in his apartment, and he had this painting. This is not the painting. is my very poor example of what the painting is. But he, I said, oh, I like that painting. This is, this is what it looked like. He said, what does it say? What would you say this says? No. That's what I said. I said, it says no. He said, that's not what it says. He says, it says no, period. <laughs> no is a full sentence. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to go beyond it. Sometimes with our kids, no is a full sentence. Which part of no don't you understand? How many times have we said that? Right? No is a full sentence, but this is what we do. This is another one of his paintings. We have a little no there, but then there's a yes inside there, and right at the bottom there's a maybe lurking down there. We don't say it definitively. We feel a little ashamed to say, no, I can't handle that, or I can't do that right now. What we need to do is say no with an exclamation mark. We need to practice that to protect ourselves. Why? Because as I looked at this, uh, this client's art, I actually took my daughter to his exhibit. And while we were in the exhibit, we heard somebody else asking how much the paintings were. Now, I can't put the client's business out there, but let's just say they were extremely expensive. Okay? Extremely expensive. And what did that make me think? It made me think no is valuable. No is valuable. Why? Because it will save you time and energy. The two things you can't get back. You can lose money, you can find ways to make money, yet you can't get your time back, you can't get your energy back. How many times have you been doing something that someone asked you to do that you know makes no sense? But you're there because, oh, you don't want to upset this person, you want to be a good person. I'm not saying be selfish. That's not the message. But I'm saying sometimes we need to figure out why we can't say no and when we need to say no. The other thing is this is uh, the painting in an exhibition. You see there are other paintings around it. People will adjust around your no if you stick to it. If you say no and you back down or if you say no and you're, you're skittish about it, people will adjust around your no. But we've got to get used to doing it and not being self-sacrificers in a negative way. For sure, we've got to be like Jesus. 
But let's do this in a healthy way. My question to you, what do you need to say no to today? Who do you need to say no to today? Take a good look. Pray, assess, and make a decision. The third thing is a real quick one. We, got a, we live in an age, the iPhone, whatever it is, came out today. It came out last week. There were people all the way down the block. We are always plugged in. Life used to be that there were rhythms to life. There were seasons. But now we are plugged in all of the time. And it's stressing us out. Some of us need to get off the social media. Never in the history of social media, I'm exaggerating, but never in the history of social media has anyone changed anyone's mind in the comment section. It's unproductive, right? We're just spewing stuff out there. And then you look on social media, everybody's picture is through a filter, and then you start to think, oh, what's wrong with my life? They look happy all of the time. Nobody's life is like that. I use it for business, but there's some people who their whole life is through a filter, and it's stressing us out. My wife took a social media fast. It was good. We need, it creates anxiety, and some of us, you know, we need to put our phones down at night before we go to bed. But you're like, but I use it for my alarm clock. Does anybody remember what this is? <laughs> this ancient device right here? This right here will not send you stress-inducing alerts about the breaking news that isn't breaking news. This right here will not send you annoying emails from your boss. This right here will not send you useless text messages, nor will it have you waiting online for hours for the next upgraded version, which isn't really an upgraded version. We need to put our phones, this is just a practical, outside of the bedroom, this is for me too, and get one of these things and wake up to the sound of an alarm clock. Because we wake up and we're stressed as soon as we look at this thing. That's a freebie for you. The next thing is suppressed emotions. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. John 11:35. Jesus wept. And why did he weep? He was going to heal somebody. And he knew he was going to heal them, but he still wept when he saw the pain of the people. Emotions are a part of who we are. And if we are not allowed to express our emotions, it leads to more unresolved negative emotions, which leads to stress, which leads to disease. But we're uncomfortable with emotion. What do we tell our kids? Don't cry. Our boys, man up. Think positive. Just have faith. Everything happens for a reason. Everything, sometimes we don't know what the reason is. Sometimes we do more damage saying that. Somebody told me my stepfather got shot and somebody said to me, everything happens for a reason. It's not helpful. In Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon said, time and chance, time and circumstance happen to us all. The Bible is here to help us with those things that we don't know how to deal with. But sometimes we don't have to have an answer for everything. We've got to let people work through their emotions. Even spiritually, I think, you know, in John uh, chapter 2, verse 13, 
You don't have to go there, but this is where Jesus clears the temple. And many times I've heard this example of people say, well, Jesus, he just took, a, he took his time, he made the whip slowly, and then he went, and he wasn't angry, he just gently whipped the tables, and he just gently overturned the tables. But the scripture doesn't say any of that. It says Jesus was whipping these tables, overturning these tables, scattering money everywhere, zeal for his house consumed him. But we try to take the emotion out of Jesus. Why? It's one of the most damaging things that we can do. Look, in Br- I come from England, where it's all keep a stiff upper lip, chappy, and all of that stuff. And for me, even on my wedding day, on my wedding day I saw my wife coming down the aisle, and I, I, I couldn't help it. I started crying. That was me right there. <laughs> crying as my wife came down the aisle. Now, while this was happening, my grandmother from England was in, obviously in the congregation, like, no, that's not what we do. Man up. She's telling me to stand straight. She was like this, no, don't don't cry, don't embarrass us. Right? Because we don't know how to deal with emotion. This next picture is a freebie because that's James Warren, obviously concerned for for me there. Showing me some counsel. (laughs) Clearly you're having a good laugh at my expense. (laughs) But we've got to learn to deal with our emotions. Name them. What am I feeling? Is it anger? Is it pain? Is it disappointment? Write them down. If you find someone to speak to, we need to carry each other's burdens with each other. Right? If If you can't find someone, get a diary. We need to get in touch with what we're feeling. I know for me, one thing that helped me in prayer is writing down things bothering Robert and praying through those things. But find ways to get it out. Exercise is another way. Listen, if you're not moving, when we move, the body's natural endorphins, which take away pain, relieve symptoms of depression, and it's, uh, it's serotonin, which is a mood elevator, right? These things help your body de-stress and calm down if you're not moving. And most Americans sit for over 13 hours a day. I don't have time to go into all of that. But you need to start moving. So guys, I thank you for allowing me to hang with you these past few weeks. And we talked about a lot of things. We've talked about taking care of our temple having a spiritual approach to take care of our temple. We've talked about how we need to take care of our nutrition and how we need to look at our medication, sometimes even looking towards therapy. And I've hoped I've started to give you a spiritual outlook on how to look at our health. I'm going to do one midweek with you and then we'll get into more of the practicals. But in closing, I want us to think about something and I want us to think about the true cost. Last week, I ended by talking about a blue zone. These are places all over the world where people live to be uh, 90 years and over in good health, right? And one of the things we found is that these people live without uh, Alzheimer's, heart disease. They're functional and strong way into the 90s and early 100s. And the things that um, help them do that is that most of these blue zones were based in faith-based communities. They had a very strong community set around them. 
and they had learned to live their lifestyle with a certain viewpoint or a certain way of looking at things. I don't want to leave without having us understand what the true cost is. In your seats right now, you have a piece of paper with a day on it, right? Everybody who has the day Monday, I want you to stand up and keep the day Monday uh, towards the audience. Stand up. Everybody who has a piece of paper with the day Monday on it. Stand up. Just Monday. Now look around. This is the amount of people who will pass away from obesity-related issues in New York City on Monday. If you have a Tuesday, please stand up. Monday, stay standing. If you have Tuesday, please stand up. The amount of people who will pass away from obesity-related issues on Tuesday. Wednesday, please stand up, if you can. If you have Thursday, stand up. And Friday, everybody else stand up. Whatever day you have, stand up. This is how many people will pass away from this church service till next church service from obesity-related issues in New York City. Look around. This is half of our congregation. Take a seat. What I want to express to you, church, is that we have the tools to help. And with God's strength and with God's power behind us and the scriptures, we really can make a difference. We talk about saving souls. We can save lives and we can save souls. Over the history of time, the church has always showed up. In your chemical recovery ministry, the church has showed up and helped many people uh, break the bonds of chemical addiction. I remember in Harlem, we used to go throughout Harlem and help families get immunized. The church showed up to help families get immunized. There are families right here, right now, today, who wouldn't be together if it wasn't for the work through Jesus Christ and the church that has been done. During Sandy, we showed up. During natural disasters, the church shows up. What I'm telling you, church, and what I want you to understand is we need to show up for ourselves first, and then we need to show up for Harlem in this regard with compassion, with sensitivity, with empathy to the people of Harlem and spread this message so people can be healthy spiritually and people can be healthy physically. Guys, take this message to heart. What does Jesus want? He wants to take away your weariness, to take away your burdens, and for you to find rest and peace, shalom for your soul. Amen.